we often go and take for granted exactly how things came to be what they are. You know, we talk about Millionaire's Row in Cleveland. I don't think people recognize here innovation built it, uh, you know, and to this day you're walking on it. This is the legacy of innovation here. You know, I think people understanding this, I think it's really important to understanding, you know, why Cleveland is definitely a great city for entrepreneurs. Let's discover the Cleveland entrepreneurial ecosystem. We are telling the stories of its entrepreneurs and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast, where we're exploring what people are building across the North Coast. I'm Jeffrey Stern, here with my fellow cartographer, Dee Tegan. And we're coming to you live from Cleveland, home of the street formerly known for Millionaire's Bro. Is that not where you live, Tegan? I sure do. I'm in the mix with oil mogul John D. Rockefeller, <laughs> which probably explains why my apartment is a historical landmark. Runs parallel to Carnegie, a namesake of another industry mogul here in Cleveland, where our next guest is actually joining us from to discuss the history of innovation in Cleveland, where we are today, and where we might be going. Today's guest, Ron Stubblefield, is a nationally recognized lawyer, scholar, economic development professional, and entrepreneurial advisor. He is also an entrepreneur in residence at Jumpstart, where he supports the Economic Community Development Institute, the Hispanic Business Center, the President's Council, and the Urban League of Greater Cleveland. Ron works with these organizations to advance black and brown tech and tech-enabled entrepreneurship within the city of Cleveland. Very excited to have you on the show, Ron. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you both for having me. Yeah, I'm super excited to have a Morehouse brother here being a Spelman grad. <laughs> I'm like, yep, absolutely. It's like at the end of the day, um, you know, it's so wonderful just watching what Cleveland meant to our institutions too, because if it wasn't for the great startup mm-hmm. scene that Cleveland initially pioneered, Morehouse Spelman, two of the nation's most prominent and influential HBCUs, wouldn't be what they are today. I live on a Euclid. You know, Rockefeller used to have a mansion on this street. <laughs> it's very uh, motivating. Millionaire's Row. I have Millionaire's Row for a reason, man. <laughs> I think those makes this really cool because, you know, we often go like and take for granted exactly how things came to be what they are. You know, we talk about Millionaire's Row in Cleveland. I don't think people recognize here innovation built it, uh, you know, and to this day you're walking on it. This is the legacy of innovation here. You know, I think people understanding this, I think it's really important to understanding, you know, why Cleveland is definitely a great city for entrepreneurs. Yeah. You know, you didn't start your journey here. You didn't start, uh, I guess you didn't necessarily start, but we can kind of trace it back to Morehouse in Atlanta. And I know from my experience with you that you purposely chose not to take Morehouse's dual degree program. Why was that? You know, right. So in my case, you know, I stepped back and went dual degree program is like, okay, we're talking about a, you know, potentially a five to six year program based on where you are with prereqs and like to essentially get two bachelor's degrees. Meanwhile, you can watch a lot of amazing Morehouse grads who did their four years for physics or Spelman grads did their four years chemistry, go out and get a master's in engineering at the same time. So for me, I went no brainer. I'm not going to do a dual degree. I'm going to go about that. And 
I think it was also helpful too, because I know for me at some level, I wanted to be involved in entrepreneurship and Stanford being one of the, a place that, you know, was going, everybody needs to have the entrepreneurial mindset, I think, called to me. And so I think for those reasons, I went, this is where my journey needs to go. We can dive into your HBCU experience, but it's kind of an interesting trajectory there for an entrepreneur, I mean, physics, engineering. What does that have to do with entrepreneurship from your perspective? You know, um, there, there are two perspectives that you can actually have. You know, part one, when we think about promoting entrepreneurship, we always think about who knows science, who knows engineering. And then the second piece of it all is at the end of the day, when you think of physics, when you think of engineering, when you think of law, it's about trying to impose some sort of order on the chaos. And that's what an entrepreneur really does. You know, you see a problem and it's like, oh my goodness, how do I create a simple solution that gives people value and creates order on chaos? And so I think that's kind of ultimately the common thread that led me to where I am. Mm, yeah. And you hinted at it a little bit, but you also have experience with law at NYU. Can you talk a little bit about um, what pushed you to go to law school? I mean, absolutely. So um, as I was wrapping up my master's at Stanford and we had a chance to help work with a lot of entrepreneurs, you went, what problems kept coming up for them? And at some point, somebody got a cap table wrong. Somebody wasn't in good standing. Somebody wasn't doing their due diligence properly. There were so many other protections that go in place, such as, um, did you protect your IP? Did you protect your ownership? Did you think through your financing terms? And what you recognize here is a lot of people were not being properly protected as entrepreneurs. And those things have consequences. You know, um, oftentimes I hear entrepreneurs go for funding. One of the biggest things that dings them out from a due diligence perspective was their legal ducks run in a row. And you don't want to see something like that be the reason why somebody's dream and journey gets derailed. So I think for me at that point, I went, let me go to law school and learn how to better come back and help protect the next generation of entrepreneurs. That I think was probably very informative because in the process of doing that law degree at NYU and the law and business program helped teach me more about business too, to better understand how can I be a business advisor with legal perspective? And I think that's really helped me in my career, help many entrepreneurs today. Yes, very needed. You're definitely, definitely not lying. <laughs> <laughs> And for you having an experience, not only with physics, but at an HBCU, and then really having that engineering background, as well as a law degree on top of that, what was your next step? So I think for me, my next step, when I went through all that, I went, all right, I spent enough time in the academy. I do not need another degree. But the question for me was, how do I put my experiences in a place where I can go get some value? You know, because you understand the law, you understand engineering and the design thinking process, but you also understand from HBCU a different way to look at the world, you know, different market opportunities that most people may not see. And so I go, well, how can I take those experiences and use that to help other people better navigate this journey? So for me, that took me to Baltimore, where um, I literally started off in social entrepreneurship, building economic development authorities while helping other people, working with different business owners to help them figure out how can we uniquely address social problems. And then I think when that got done, I went, I want to work with business owners directly now. Um, so that took me over to saying, how do you help restaurant owners and people with main streets? You know, and as you're working with them, you're going, great, we're having a lot of fun, but you're going, how do I help people disrupt things now? So that took me back to Baltimore. 
And in the process of doing that, now let's go work with tech companies. And I mean, that was probably to me one of the best career moves ever made because just the cool things you can now go ahead and see now how all these things come together, such as um, every, nobody likes having to stop at Starbucks when driving to work. So to help somebody think of how do you make a mobile coffee maker for your car, get it patented and get a working prototype, to me, it was like the fun, a very enjoyable six months. To then turning around and going, how do we help deal with getting reducing violence in the streets by getting guns off the streets? Because I think a lot of people's traditional programs always think about, well, do we do police seminars with people? And somebody went, why don't we create an app for that? And that app is now being piloted in multiple cities by the Department of Justice. So really be able to sit back and go, we can innovatively take all these things and understanding of different communities, different ways of design and different ways to think about how you protect ideas, I think is really in this journey, really helped me work with people to maximize the value of their ideas. And I think that journey ultimately brought me here to Cleveland too. We're definitely going to get to your time in the land, but you mentioned that it brought you back to Baltimore. So is that home for you? So I know I'm originally from the um, DC Baltimore area. And then, and then when I initially, when I finally, when I finally stopped being a professional student, my first job was in Baltimore before I went back to New York. And then my next job after that was in Baltimore. So that was a bit of that journey. But in the um, process of all that, my mother's family's from Cleveland. So, um, you know, a lot of my ties looking over Cleveland here were a lot of her relatives came up to Cleveland initially looking for job opportunities with the steel mills and they became entrepreneurs. And then in my work with Baltimore, I had a chance to actually come up and speak at a conference in Cleveland and go, there is so much cool stuff here to, here for entrepreneurs. Like I was here for startup scale up. And I think honestly, I was spoiled after that weekend because you want to see the ecosystem at work and how everybody was unified about one thing making sure entrepreneurs had what they needed when they needed. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Kind of like tracing the the thread of your career. Now that I understand that, I totally get how you've ended up at Jumpstarted. <laughs> just a lot of pieces just came into place. But could you tell us a bit more about, you know, your your role at Jumpstart? What does it mean to be an, an entrepreneur in, in residence? Uh, great. <laughs> no, I often laugh because um, an entrepreneur in residence means different things depending on who actually is an entrepreneur in residence. So in case, from the case of my particular role, stepping back, group of organizations, Hispanic Business Center, the Urban League, um, the President's Council, and the Economic Community Development Institute, we're talking with Jumpstart going, all right, we recognize that we have an inclusive racial inclusion problem within the tech space in Cleveland. And so the question is, how do we address that? Is it simply just more funding? And then you step back and recognize what makes a tech space a tech scene? It's not strictly are you act, talking about giving people money, although we need to give more money out to black and brown entrepreneurs. It's also how are we outreaching to these communities to begin with, let them know what resources exist. How are we building programs to support them based on their needs? Because the fact here is we have different circumstances and have different experiences and may need different resources messaged and communicated in a different way. And then how do we make sure there's coaching that understands that to help them get to where they need to be. And so collectively, all these organizations said, we need an entrepreneur and residents to help figure these things out. And I saw the opportunity and went, this is the type of um, innovative, disruptive approach to economic development I've basically been saying has been needed across the country for a while. And I want to be a chance to be part of the team. So um, when I got the opportunity, I went, great, let's start doing outreach. 
Let's start meeting entrepreneurs of color where they are, and let's start working with them to think about their business in new ways. That's how I met Tegan, actually. And when we started up, we were talking about how do we do eSUSUs? And what we really recognize here is we're talking business development for people who can't afford big business development consulting firms. But just being able to work with entrepreneurs like that to say, here's how we can scale your idea and have a big impact is why, what my role as an EIR is all about. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you for, for going over that. Hey, no problem. <laughs> yeah, and Ron is a great advisor. I had to plug that in there. And Jumpstart has been a great resource for me since moving to Cleveland. Thanks for taking your checks in the mail. I'm working on mine. <laughs> the thing that always struck me about Jumpstart was that, and this is you know relative to my time in New York, and I imagine relative to your time as well in New York and San Francisco, if you were to just like pull a random set of people within the entrepreneurial ecosystems of those cities respectively and ask them about who the you know who the players are, you'd get a pretty diverse you know, group of organizations. It was never clear to me that there was, you know, one real dominant force in, in the city in the way that I feel like Jumpstart plays here. And so, you know, I'm curious how you think about Jumpstart's role in Cleveland, which I understand to be relatively unique when it comes to kind of like a centralization of capital and business support services and, and really kind of all these, these activities under the, the Jumpstart umbrella, where it's, yeah, it's, you know, simultaneously, you know, the provider of opportunity and funding, but in some ways, you know, almost a gatekeeper in, in other regards. Right. And I think, you know, stepping back to your point about what you see in New York, San Francisco, and even in places like Maryland, you have ecosystems per se, but um, like, and what you typically find here, it's like different moving parts. And so um, you can, so the plus side is you can always plug in easily. The downside is there are too many moving parts to make sure are you plugging in the right places and in a coordinated way? And that's been a major problem nationally where they're talking about ecosystem building and thinking about how you do convening and organizing ecosystems. And I think that's one of the things I think the strength Jumpstart has through some of its partnerships, the Greater Cleveland Partnership and Ohio Third Frontier. What Jumpstart really does is it's more than a venture capital firm. What it is is an ecosystem building group. And as part of that, we do the business, we do the services, you know, tech and non-tech businesses. You know, we provide the funding, but we also work to help organize and corral partners together in an organized fashion. So we make sure entrepreneurs don't get left behind. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to Jumpstart to get any help. No, they're great partners we have across the ecosystem you can go through. But what it does mean here, it's we make sure that as we work together, we make sure entrepreneurs get the right resources at the right time. For example, it makes no sense to send somebody to funding when they need a market validation workshop. Just like somebody who may need funding, may also need funding and I need prototypes built. So it's just, so where, where Jumpstart really is going is how do we organize things so that the entrepreneur doesn't have to, and they can focus on what really matters, growing and scaling their business. And so I think that's what Jumpstart brings here in this unique role in Ohio, that a lot of groups nationwide look to Jumpstart for leadership to emulate and model after. That makes a lot of sense. Just kind of building on that, the other thing that I, I know to at least as I understood to be somewhat unique about Jumpstart is that, and I, I think maybe this has changed, but at least initially it had been, you know, structured as a nonprofit organization. And so I, you know, I was just curious, you know, what kind of incentives does that put in place as a, as an organization working in the venture space and, you know, with the focus on, you know, the second bottom line and, you know, social impact and, you know, just kind of, it just struck me always as it's kind of interesting that a, 
a venture organization as a nonprofit. Right. And so we'll, we'll compare and contrast with the for-profit model just to make this point. So, you know, it's a for-profit model. That's a traditional venture capital space. They definitely say, you know, I can care clearly about social impact. And many of them are doing there's more pressure. But fundamentally speaking, they are legally obligated to make sure that it's ultimately about the money. And so unless their shareholders ultimately, you know, LP say, all right, we need you to focus on something more. That's ultimately going to be the ultimate driver. And that's going to be like, you know, maximize value for the LPs and other shareholders. What the nonprofit model gives you here, it's you need to be financially sustainable to be sure. But fundamentally speaking, you're ultimately, you're legally obligated for fulfilling your mission. And that's helping advance diverse and ambitious entrepreneurial talent. So yes, our invent, when we invest, we have to get certain returns, but it also gives us the flexibility to go because our mission is really more holistic to begin with. It allows us some flexibility to start thinking through other types of things we can do as a business to help entrepreneurs that other people in the for-profit sector may not be able to economically do. So for example, like, you know, we can go after state grant funding here to say, let's build up services because entrepreneurs need more than money. Sometimes we need different business advisement and support services along the way. It also allows us to push the envelope here and say, what are some barriers impacting entrepreneurs that as a nonprofit, we can have a partners to solve? And those barriers can be things such as we can create during COVID a couple of stand-up loan programs, knowing we're probably not going to make any money off of them. And that's okay. Because as long as we can make sure the community gets the funding they need to survive situations like this right now. So when you think of these things, I think it gives us some more jumpstart, more flexibility to be able to respond to the needs of entrepreneurs and work with partnerships in different ways to help people where it otherwise may not be, you know, profitable for a for-profit entity that may very well have the leadership may be willing, but the ability is not there legally. Right. And I can imagine that now during a pandemic, a lot more entrepreneurs are running to a resource like Jumpstart because it does have that structure. So what are you seeing that entrepreneurs in Cleveland need the most uh, during this time? Right. So there's a lot. So I think the first and most important here is a listening year because this is a very stressful time here. And a lot of entrepreneurs are stressed. They're panicked. They're troubled. They just need somebody who's willing to listen to what they need. And I think that's something I think Jumpstarts and a lot of our team members are doing a great job of. And based on that listening, here's some insights I can say. From a non-tech perspective, many of your entrepreneurs in that space need help on how do I find ways to take, make my business more efficient during these times? How do I better leverage certain tech tools to navigate this space? How do I find funding? And what are new ways for me to help see if can I partner or pivot my business? And there's a lot of education from Jumpstart and our partners of the Business Growth Collaborative to address that. From a tech side perspective, a lot of entrepreneurs here, you know, it's really understanding their markets first and foremost and how those markets are impacted by COVID, you know, because it's not enough just to go, I think I have a great idea. You know, Jeff Tagan, you understand, like, you think you have a great idea is not enough. Is the marketplace ready and willing to say, I need you to solve, give me this idea right now? And COVID puts, has changed people's priorities to what is important to them and help people understand that impact, I think is critical. I think it's also critical now more than ever for entrepreneurs to really understand how financing works and what funders look for and not look for and how the market thinks. Because right now, the capital markets are tightening up. And so a lot of entrepreneurs here, like if you're thinking you're going after funding right now, this is a harder market absent certain type of business opportunities. 
So learning how what it means to bootstrap, learning what it means to crowdfund, learning what it means to really validate is some education. And I'm happy Jumpstart's educational team has programming coming up the next couple of months to address these things, but to help people better understand how to navigate these uncertain times, knowing it's going to be harder to get money. And then I think probably the last thing I think is critical is people understanding what does it mean to really think through and stress test your operations? You know, the best time to plan for a crisis is before one happens. And what that basically means is making sure, do you have solid systems that can withstand things? Have you thought through contingency planning? These are things I think we, a lot of people took for granted. And then and I think this helps. And I think the last couple of things needed are storytelling, because, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs feel alone right now. And I think podcasts like this do a great job of saying, how can we tell more stories about the challenges, struggles and successes people are going through? So people can recognize they're not alone in these things. And I think to that point also, advocates. I think entrepreneurs need more advocates because as we're thinking about what new programs we're coming out here, what new resources are we unveiling, especially for entrepreneurs of color. We really need more advocates and allies to make sure those resources get there so we can come back stronger than what we were before COVID happened. Actually, a couple of things from that you talked about you know, the pandemic is really what you, being prepared for the pandemic is really what you did before the pandemic. So working at Jumpstart, what are some of the resources that you all have been pointing entrepreneurs to kind of for this last minute aid and then kind of on the opposite ends of things? Jumpstart's very interestingly placed in Cleveland that it's in Midtown and living in Midtown, being an entrepreneur in Midtown, I know that there's a lot of conversations about how to grow uh, entrepreneurship in this area as well as how to really build out Midtown as a city. So on the opposite end, what are the opportunities that you see kind of existing at this time for businesses? Certainly. So I think one of the things now here, it's, look, we know a lot of businesses are in a position, I think, to pivot because the fact is, I think, you know, it's a lot of things traditionally may not have necessarily continued to work, but we recognize first thing first PPE is like in heavy demand right now. Like, you know, we can't get enough of it. For example, if I'm a dry cleaning business, the best thing you can do right now is pivot over to start cleaning medical equipment because that's going to be in demand. That's going to be demand for quite some time. Um, you know, this pandemic isn't going anywhere, unfortunately, but here's an opportunity, you know. So I think it's number one. And then I think number two, it's um, for entrepreneurs in particular, as we're thinking about what are some people recognize now, we need better tools to help navigate the remote work landscape. We need better tools to deal with how we help medical devices. We need better tools to think about how to help cities run more efficiently. And then how do we, you know, so I think there are plenty of opportunities here going, how do we make a society post-COVID that makes it the next time some things happen, we have better systems in place. So make sure that some of the impacts we're facing don't happen again. And I see as a first run opportunity for entrepreneurs, they want to tackle that. And Jumpstart's more than happy to work with you from a validation and coaching advice perspective to figure out what those things are. As we talk about the city of Cleveland specifically, we're at a nice crossroads. You know, I think a lot of the racial unrest has highlighted how there are too many systems of exclusion and what it means, very frankly, for the growth of cities that are majority minorities, such as Cleveland. And I think now is opportunity for, as we're talking through with multiple projects going like the Cleveland Innovation Project, for example, the Midtown Projects, are now getting people to come through going, what new funding programs, what new workforce development programs can we actually create now? that can help address the skills gaps we see, address the capital gaps we see on both the debt and equity side to really open up more equitable opportunities for inclusion within the entrepreneurial and workforce landscapes. It also means how do we design places like Midtown, Tech Quarter to be like 
we're not strictly just a place. Yeah, we're a place for tech. But what does it mean to have a place for tech? You know, and talking with the team, people in Midtown here is going, what does it mean to be an tech entrepreneur to begin with? And I think there's space for those conversations for us to redefine who belongs in this ecosystem, you know, and really talk through those things and showcase people. You can be here. Let's walk you through how to get there. And I think the last really good opportunity here, it's you've got a lot of really, really smart people in Cleveland, like, you know, a real, a lot of smart. I guess the, the opportunity facing here is how to, is better activating and connecting that talent in a not so siloed way so we can better amplify the voices and what the talent can actually do. And I think people recognizing that now that we're, we take for granted when we're seeing each other every day. I think COVID-19 and forced being remotely has forced us to go. We took for granted the networks and relationships and the people and people is people. It's people. It's people that make cities and ecosystems at the end of the day. And so I think us better saying, let's not take each other for granted anymore. And let's really, really work together to build a Cleveland we are all proud of. I think it's the greatest opportunity that we have right now. People. I love it. So with, with Jumpstart kind of playing a, a focal point in, I think, working towards a lot of those ideas that, that you're speaking about, in like the best case scenario, you know, five years, 10 years from now, what is what does success look like for Jumpstart? You know, like what what is kind of, is there an end goal? What, what does it mean from your perspective to be successful going forward? So from my perspective, if everything goes well, this is what we can see in 10 years. We see a strong, we see a more inclusive crop of tech entrepreneurs in the city who are creating products and ideas that are not strictly just go, or, you know, are helping people, whether it's consumers, whether it's other businesses, whether it's the city itself. We see more centers of inclusion that helping to help people who are historically excluded from the space, getting trained up with the skills necessary to participate. Um, we also see more funding available for entrepreneurs. And what we see is a place where people are flocking to Cleveland and they're flocking to Cleveland because they recognize this is the house. This is the house that innovation built. If we can do things right the next 10 years to really build up those systems, tell those stories and support people more inclusively and build up the resources where there are the gaps, I think we can get there because that's no different than what Atlanta did. That's no different than what Charlotte did. And people need to remember um, Silicon Valley had to do that. It wasn't in New York had to do that. They didn't magically were like, come off like, congratulations, we are entrepreneurial hubs. <laughs> they had to build those things over time. And once upon a time, they were studying how Cleveland did it. We were the original Silicon Valley and the fundamentals are still there. So if we could build it before, we can build it again. This time, let's build it better. And I think we can do that. And in 10 years from now, we should be in the conversation with Silicon Valley and New York and Atlanta as the place to be if you want to be an entrepreneur. The land is where it's at. It's all I'm I mean, put it this way. It's like, you know, a lot of people will say, well, are you sure Cleveland can do it? It's a mistake by the lake. I said, stop it. Before we talk mistake by the lake, please realize your Exxons, your things for cars wouldn't be here. People from Cleveland didn't show you how to do oil, make oil a business. Stop it. We wouldn't have had, think when we think about how the designs for how you steal and all these things, a great building in this country wouldn't be there if Cleveland didn't produce the steel. And somebody was innovative enough to think about how would you steal a different way. Stop it. You know, when we even talk about even now, for example, leading technology research and thought leadership around innovative ways to deal with this pandemic are coming out the Cleveland Clinic. Innovation never stopped in Cleveland. We just stopped promoting it and we just stopped promoting it to the levels that we did. 
And I think we am thinking this is why I think podcasts like yours are so important because I think people go, can we do this? Yeah, because we never stopped. Let's scale it up. Yeah, b- building on that, how do we play on the strengths uh, of the city? Because I feel like it's often about what we're not doing well enough. But to your point, and I think you know it resonates with a lot of people, there is like an optimism here and there are a lot of things that are great. And how do we build on that? Right. So I think the first, your first great strength is your people and people have different insights as to, especially um, from communities of color as to why am I not able to participate? So start by listening to them because they, because the, the strength there is insight, actionable insight. That's the key. We talk about entrepreneurs and customer discovery. Here are our customers that we're not including and then make sure the resources are there. But I think one of the other great strengths here is you have a lot of innovators in terms of economic development, programming and building. You know, um, the World Books to Jumpstart is an example of that. But there are other groups, too. For example, um, just watching some of the innovative approaches being taken by the President's Council on how do I leverage a chamber and advocacy and business coaching to even the Urban League? How do we connect entrepreneurship and government contracting together? Same with Hispanic Business Center, same with ECDI and with education, and same with other groups like Magnet and the like. So it's better showcasing those programs and making sure we do a better job of outreaching that these programs are here and highlighting what they actually do. And then leveraging some of the senior thought leadership that exists in Cleveland that, that the venture capital space learns for us say, now let's get the funding we need to fuel these things up. And then I guess the final thing, thing leveraging is going, a strength is not a strength if no one knows about it, you don't flex it every now and then. You know, um, <laughs> so you, I mean, you know, it's, Tegan can tell you this, a lot of Atlanta's great strength is it markets well. It's not that the programming necessarily is any better from one place to another, it, it markets well. You know, we come to Cleveland as going, I learned about it from startup scale up once I dived in it, but it wasn't marketed. So part one is like, are you even telling people what scene that you have? And then I think afterwards, because enough people are excited about the scene and want to do something about it, leverage that energy to start promoting more activities or more events, more support, more scale and more collaborative ways, because that's what really separates a lot of cities from here. And Cleveland, we've got the tools to do it. You've got the energy, you've got the resources, you've got the space. Let's just put it together and then start working with people. Start listening to entrepreneurs we need to help and we can start building. And I think that's how we say, this is Cleveland. And in 10 years from now, we're like the LeBron of entrepreneurship. <laughs> well, build it on that analogy, maybe in, you know, LeBron has left us. I, I had a feeling you're going to mention that the second I said that. And, and, and you see where I'm going with this. We have at least in anecdotally, a pattern where startups leave the city. I don't know if, if Cover My Meds is, is Jumpstart's most successful return to date, but it's got to be up there, I imagine. And I, I'm curious your take on the fact that you know, that's a company that started here in Cleveland and, and ultimately you know, moved down south to Columbus. Right. So here are probably a couple of things here, candidly on since essentially you're getting to what's the weakness question implicitly. Part one of it all is people are going to follow the money. You know, people follow the money. So a lot of times people will start in many places and you, it's not just an isolated problem in Cleveland. You see this with all, with secondary, mid, with more mid-tier cities. It's, you can start with the money here. The question is, where's my following funding? Because if I can't get enough of it in city one and I'm starting to see it over at places two, three or four, I'm going to follow the money. So part one of it all is how, what sort of partnerships can we start bringing for follow-on support, especially given that now 
more VCs are starting funds and they're becoming more agnostic as to where you're located. That hasn't always been historically the case. And so this provides opportunity to go, can we create some co-investment partnerships that as we develop clean deal flow in Cleveland, the five funders who go, I don't need you to move to me just because I'm over here. You can stay where you are with other support systems in place. I think secondarily, it's what other auxiliary culture are we building around for people? Because, you know, entrepreneurship is a risk. We know we've got to be candid about that. You know, there's a risk you're going to fail. And when you do, where is my exit plan? What's my support systems in place? And when I think of some other cities, if I fail as an entrepreneur today, there's a startup I can go work for in about five minutes. Like, hey, cool. Or if it's not a startup, there's a fund I can get into real quick as an employee. Or it's there's an advisory move. So I think really building up that culture and that pipeline of, you know, talented ideas coming up is going to be critical because as you can build that up and help them scale up, you now start creating that essentially that social capital within the entrepreneurial space, knowing I'm going to be all right. Because if my business doesn't necessarily succeed, I can do this. Or if I do feel the need to, I leave for money. I also know there are other resources at mass coming up that says I come back. You know, so I think those things matter. And then finally, when we're talking about, especially for communities of color, what are we doing here to address aspects of racism within the quality of life within the life of Clevelanders? Because, you know, it's when I think of Atlanta, Charlotte, these are cities where there's more black social capital to begin with. And that has ways where it's, it's not that you're safe from racism, but you have different levels of exposure, different impacts on your life, livelihood and well-being that you do even Cleveland, for example. And saying, and how do we as a community start leveraging our collective power to go, we know Cleveland's a wonderful place. How do we hold it accountable, make sure it's wonderful for all? But I think we'll also help in getting more people to come and then stay. Because, you know, we got a lot of resources that can attract people to come, build the environment that gets people to stay. And you're someone that chose to move to Cleveland, like Jeff and myself. And you haven't been here too long but what direction would you say that Cleveland is headed in? So I will say this. You have enough. You have a lot of people here at Cleveland who are going, let's do, let's let's do something new. You know, a lot of people are like, let's do something new. And that's what and that culture has been going on for a while. It's not even recent past few months. That's why the Midtown pro project that you mentioned got started up. Let's do something new. Let's find a way to just reactivate the city in new ways. And so you see that excitement and people and people are here going, I know we can be. We're optimistic. And with that optimism and people and people even having different conversations that even that you can't even go to other cities now that are just starting to have about racial equity that Cleveland was leading two years ago, you know, such as how do we start embedding DEI in the space? How do we start putting pressure for investors to think about things in different ways? And so I see. So when I see that Cleveland, it's like, OK, you have the ingredients and there's general optimism that we can build off this and make something amazing. So I see I see definitely hope for Cleveland and it's not just me. Enough people I've worked with in the venture space and other places are going. Jumpstart Cleveland are doing major things. So you know the world sees it. Those in the know see it. And so I think it's something Cleveland should be excited about. But now as we're excited, let's build on that. And I think we have everything we need to do it. Yeah, Cleveland is definitely building. Midtown is so interesting. I live here. It seems like some people in Cleveland know it exists and some people don't. Even though it's like 20 years old, I, I'm, I'm still very confused on it now. That doesn't surprise me. I think that's one thing, again, where I say the storytelling, you know, and the outreach. Because, you know, ultimately, you know, historically, Cleveland was one of America's most hyper-segregated cities. 
So you weren't in certain things. You stayed in your two to three neighborhoods and didn't even think to look at other neighborhoods because you never knew, because you just operate in the presumption you will not be welcomed here. Start there. And that, and eventually that passes generation by just natural concepts, psychologists and sociologists called natural boundaries. You do not cross this boundary for safety and to a point you don't even ask why. And so I think part of that here, and it's something I will applaud the leadership of Midtown who are trying to build inclusion in everything that they do. How do we not outreach and make it clear that we don't just want you to come here. We want you to know that you're included and welcomed here. And a lot of people are thinking about the type and it, a lot of organizations are consciously saying we need to bring in people for outreach and constantly trying to develop outreach strategies and accountability plans with those outreach strategies. But it's going to take some time because you can't expect, you know, even with the best storytelling initiatives for, that to be, for you know, problems of over a century to get fixed in one year or even one day, one day, one year. But ideally, with those efforts in organic and authentic work that's coming out of Cleveland to show we can be more welcoming, we can do better by our people, I see over in five, 10 years, we're able to break down those silos and include. And that's what part of my initiative is doing, is to inform people of these things while working with partners to go, now, how do we make this even more inclusive? And I, I think that there, I mean, I know that there are grassroots, you know, things working on this. Shayna Black with uh, Black Girl Clee. She's very adamant about getting people to visit different parts of the city that they may historically have been uncomfortable with. So kind of looking at that, what do you think that Cleveland is doing well and what would you say that they should be doing better? All right. So one of the things I think Cleveland is doing well is that definitely thinking about how do I take existing assets and saying and convert them to new uses. So for we can see that, for example, just downtown where I live, you took all the office buildings, a lot of cities would have tore it down. They said, no, how do you preserve the historic architectural character while addressing housing at the same time? And I think that was very clever. Just like when you see Midtown, how do we take thinking about how do we take old assets like the old casinos here and incorporate that into what we're doing so that we're building off existing culture as opposed to trying to eat coming off like we're erasing things. And I think people's willingness to say we're having the frank conversations around certain things with the goal of acting and addressing them is positive. Some things I think Cleveland can do better. Really learn from what other cities are doing. You know, I know there's a traditional attitude, Cleveland, like, well, you know, that's Cleveland. I went, look, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Kansas City, St. Louis, all these were other cities that were wrecked because of what happened with the climate manufacturing. There are things they're doing well, too. You know, Kansas City, you know, is one of the lead thought leaderships when it comes to cities and entrepreneurship. The things Baltimore is doing now with some things on their angel scene and innovation centers throughout the city and innovation village concepts. And it thinks and they're picking their lessons up globally. So I think really taking back and going, let's start looking, see what's done outside Cleveland, see what's working well that we can adapt here, I think is one critical thing. You know, study best practices globally. Let somebody else make the mistake. Let's learn from and get the benefits, so to speak. Um, you know, so I think competitive analysis, um, especially because we're trying to compete in a world. And I think the second thing is how do we leverage partnerships with other cities, you know, both domestically and globally? You know, um, the International Business Innovation Association was working, we're managing a pro project with the um, Economic Development Administration at the government level, looking at soft landing programs and sister city programs for entrepreneurship. And you're going, a lot of people globally are trying to do med tech research. Cleveland Clinic, med tech. This is what this is. Jumpstart has a lot of in-house expertise for that. 
why don't we form those partnerships here to start bringing natural partners in to the space and open up our global reach to not just companies and talent, but also funding partners. And then stepping back and going, why are we doing certain things? You know, for example, it's we can build more high rises, but when we know it's a high vacancy rate, why are we building more high rises? <laughs> no, we can stop doing that. <laughs> um, where I think our folks should then be going, we got these vacancies here. How do we help activate people to get jobs, take advantage of these housing opportunities? Or is this the type of real estate people need at a macro level? Me, you know, or is this or even more real just more real estate in the period? You know, that same money could be going, we can address the digital divide, both in terms of digital access and digital literacy, and can start building up skills to be included in digital economy from those who traditionally been excluded. So I think just stepping back and learning from best practices and going and just questioning, why are we doing stuff? It may seem cool, but does it, based on data, does this really make the most sense for where our effort should be right now? Or should we focus somewhere else right now? Because that will give us greater value in terms of uplifting people in the city. And that always pays off in the long run. I'm sure we could do an entire other podcast just on the digital divide, but because you, you brought it up, you know, given how truly drastic the, the situation in Cleveland is with the digital divide and really as like internet as a utility, how, how especially in this day and age that we're living in where everything is remote and truly it, it is even more a necessity now than it, it was a few months ago. Do you see that as kind of a, an area that we need to address in, in short order and how? Oh, yeah, short answer. Yes. <laughs> the one of the positive here, it's leadership at Jumpstart, leadership throughout the city, leadership within the Cuyahoga County Economic Development Department recognizes this and is prioritizing this. Because the fact here, it's um, when 20% of people in the county can't rely on internet access, and then a much more percentage has to rely on smartphones in a world where things are very frankly not always mobile optimized, let alone mobile friendly, that does become an access point of exclusion from information, resources, and participation. Some of the things that need to happen are twofold. First is an infrastructural problem. You need to get the infrastructure. People have the access, both in terms of, yes, I have Wi-Fi, but then I also happen to have things such as I have access to laptops with internet access and basic software. I have a phone that can basically tap into that. So you've got to get the access problem. And these were things that should have been done in the late 90s when there were white papers then on you should prioritize digital access by Y2K. It is now 20 years later, we did not do that. And we're paying the cost. But the second piece here is after I do all those points of at least now the infrastructure is in place, we can't take for granted that there's a whole generations of people who are not properly or not digitally literate. There are people who don't know how to turn on a computer. There are people who don't know what the internet even is. There are people who don't understand certain basic things on typing, security, how to run Google, how to do a Google search when they have a question about things, how to vet what's a reliable internet source and not an internet source. And these things have consequences. For example, a lot of people got caught up in um, PPP loan scams for no other reason, but because they just did not know how to discern what was authentic government information versus some third party scheme. Another example could be um, even knowing how to recognize scams on the internet. A lot of people, and Tag and I have talked about this in great detail, having the understanding to understand when you're being sold a real business opportunity versus when somebody's selling you a finesse scheme and knowing how to recognize the difference between the two. 
and that education is critical. And there are existing efforts in the county to be clear on how to do that education in this and education. Like the challenge here, it's getting the mass capital and coordination to do them both at scale rapidly. And so if without going into too many details because of confidentiality, what I can say is pay very close attention to certain things coming out of Jumpstart and its partners over the next few months to answer your question specifically about a large at scale initiative to address the digital divide here in the city of Cleveland. Definitely uh, be keeping an eye out for that. Yeah, please keep an eye out. I would strongly advise you to keep an eye out very carefully for that. Absolutely. I think that's leading us towards our usual question. Yeah, sure. To close out o- over time as we do these, we'd love to kind of paint a, a collective collage from all of our guests of you know what resonates with them most about Cleveland. And so to, to kind of help us start that that painting, what is your favorite thing about Cleveland? You know, there are many things, but I'll say, and it's so, a two-way tie. First, the food. Oh my goodness. When I came here, I mean, <laughs> the food is amazing. Like, you know, you know, go ahead, you go out, get some priorities, but ooh, yummy. Um, get some Polish boys. The food <laughs> and the innovativeness people can have with the way they present food. And I think that also speaks, right? Like, you know, you have innovative talent here. Because if you can innovate with the way you think about designing a food plate, you can innovate the way about anything else. The, cha- the challenge now is making sure we get you the resources to actually build on that at scale. And the second thing I think is the people here. You know, if there's nothing else, you have a very, very optimist, optimistic, friendly, and resilient population. And if COVID-19 has taught us nothing else, resiliency is going to matter. And when you have resilient people who said we can make it through anything, then I know you can accomplish anything when they're inspired to. And I and I and at this point here, I think those two things is what makes to me, I'm, is why it makes Cleveland so exciting. And so I hope that starts your picture, a journey of innovation, resiliency, and you will eat very well while you're here. <laughs> <laughs> I can, uh, can second those things. Cleveland is very slept on. I would agree. <laughs> I mean, like, man, my first day in, somebody went, let's just walk out. And so you just walked down and you went over to, um, you know, Ohio City Barbecue. I went over to um, mm. Anzabars, Angie's Soul Food. Mm. I went, oh. mm, mm. I got Southern boy tendencies here. And so when I say that the um, soul food scene here, it be- was better than a lot of soul food I had down South, that's a statement unto itself. And then I got introduced to Little Italy. Then I got introduced to downtown. Then I got introduced to Lebanese scene. I got introduced to diner scene. They know their food. You know, this is one of the best food scenes ever. And I say that after being in Atlanta, New York, San Francisco, places that brag about their food scenes, Cleveland wins. <laughs> if people have any questions or things they'd like to follow up with you about, where could they find you? Here's what I want everybody to do. You know, um, literally go to Jumpstart's website, www.jumpstartinc.org. And literally just go down where he says client intake form and fill out your information and say, I want to talk with Ron and I will get back to you personally. You know, that's number one. And if the website's not working for you, you can find me on LinkedIn. Ron Sullivan, send me a message. I'll connect with you. You can find me on Twitter at Revolution Ron. We can totally follow up with you. And for that matter, if you just see me out and about and you go, hey, I saw you on lay of the land and I want you to help me navigate this land. Let me know we can have a conversation right then and there. 
also work through my partners because I, if you want to, if you know people at the President's Council, you can contact me via them. If you know people with Hispanic Business Center, you can contact me via them. If you know people with ECDI, you can contact me via them. And if you know people with the Urban League, you can get in contact with me via them. In other words, y'all, I'm accessible. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me out here in the streets. <laughs> Reach out to Ron. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and background and, and thoughts. It's really a, a lot to think about and really awesome perspective on everything. So very much appreciate you coming on. No problem. Thank you both for having me. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So shoot us an email at layoftheland at upside.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland, at thetagan, or at sternhefe, J-E-F-E. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please email us or find us on Twitter and let us know. And if you love our show, please leave a review on iTunes. That goes a long way in helping us spread the word and continue to help bring high quality guests to the show. Jeff and I decided there were a couple of things we wanted to share with you at the end of the podcast. And so here we go. Tegan Horton and Jeffrey Stern developed the Lay of the Land podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we did not own equity or other financial interests in the companies which appear on this show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of Founders Get Funds and its affiliates or actual and its affiliates or any entity which employ us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation nor provided any investment advice on this show. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week.